Hello, everyone. <clears throat> I am Naya Swami Maria, and this is Naya Swami Ananta. And today we have with us also Badri Matlak, who will be giving the inspirational talk on today's reading. I'd like to welcome all of you viewing online and just share with you how meaningful it is to have the opportunity to come together in whatever way we can. A great, great blessing. It's, it's the spirit we share together that is everlasting and overrides all circumstances and situations. So uh, just a great blessing and joy to be with you today. I'm going to read from Rays of the One Light, and these are weekly commentaries uh, from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, uh, put together by Swami Kriyananda. And this week's reading is entitled, Does Satan Exist? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, Then after baptism was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. To most modern minds, this passage seems quaintly obsolete. Psychologists would say, and have said in fact, that the temptation of Jesus, if it occurred at all, was purely psychological. They call it a projection of desires lurking in his own subconscious mind. The subconscious plays a strong part, certainly, even if not a unique one. In any testing, the spiritual seeker must undergo. The Bhagavad Gita, in dealing with this undeniable reality, quotes Arjuna in the third chapter and then Krishna's reply. Yet tell me, teacher, said Arjuna, by what force doth man go to his ill, unwilling, as if one pushed him in that path? Krishna replied, desire it is, passion it is, born of the darknesses which pusheth him, mighty of appetite, sinful, and strong is this, man's enemy. Yet even Krishna describes passion as born of the darknesses. The fact is, as Paramahansa Yogananda wrote in Autobiography of a Yogi, all thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. Thoughts are universally and not individually rooted. A truth cannot be created, but only perceived. Psychology, yes, 
but psychology attuned to currents of consciousness that pervade the entire universe, attracted by each of us according to our own personal inclinations. Yogananda quoted in The Path said, I used to think Satan was only a human invention, but now I know and add my testimony to that of others who lived before me that Satan is a reality. He is a universal conscious force whose sole aim is to keep all beings bound to the wheel of delusion. We should take pains then to attract uplifting currents of universal consciousness and to avoid attracting the negative, which disease that it is can infect our thoughts even while it leads us to believe that our thoughts are purely our own. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. Hello, everyone. As Maria said, my name is Badri, and I also welcome you with great joy to our Sunday service broadcasting to you here at the Temple of Light from Ananda Village. I'll start with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity entitled, I pour out my love at thy feet of immortality. I plucked blossoms of light from dawn's heart as offerings to thee. I have lighted lamps of wakefulness in the temple of my morning's silence. I beheld thy bliss face emerge from the dark shadows of my ignorance, where it had been hidden for long eons by my indifference. And seeing thy smiling joy, I know that my own happiness mirrored thy blessed image. My heart's tiny capacity for love mirrored thy infinite love. My little peace of mind mirrored thy awe-inspiring majestic calmness. I will blame the fates no longer for any suffering that comes my way. Beloved Divine Mother, it was my self-made darkness that hid the glory of our mutual love. Now I see myself reflected in thy bliss and know that I too am perfect bliss. For my own mirror is clear now. I behold thy reflection in it. O thou ever-sacred, omnipresent, perfect bliss. I pour libations of my love at thy feet of immortality. I pour out my heart to thee from the overflowing chalice of my soul. I wash with the precious musk of my reverence thy feet of ever-moving progress in everything. If there was any doubt uh, after today's reading as to the yes or no short answer to the topic of today's reading, does Satan exist? I'm not sure anything I could offer 
or say here could convince one way or the other. And so that's a yes in the affirmative, that there surely is a force of darkness in this world that one could call Satan, has often been called Satan, that seeks to perpetuate and proliferate this seeming separation of the soul and God. Um, I was thinking if we look around us in the world today, there's no question that there's tremendous suffering. There's great cause for sadness and so many tragedies, so much tension and unrest. And all of that can be very real and very pervasive. And yet, there is another reality also. Uh, there's the reality of God and the masters. And the two can exist simultaneously. And that's the dance in our own lives of trying to live for and aspire to the consciousness of God and yet being in this world with all of its suffering and even its evil. If we look back a few thousand years, what little we know from the history books from those times, there was another period of great tension and it existed in the yuga cycles, which I won't attempt to go into any detail, but similarly in this Dwapara Yuga, this age of energy in the midst of this transition to a lower age of materialism from which we now emerge, there was the context for the Mahabharata, which is not only the scriptural epic and great story, one of the greatest stories in the world, but a true battle that took place in what we now call India. And the Mahabharata is this waged battle of light and darkness. And so there was a tremendous tension in the world and great suffering, violence, upheaval, untold evil. And yet through this process came what we now know as the Bhagavad Gita, quoted here in this reading, and the life of Sri Krishna, of Arjuna, who were in fact the same soul as Babaji and Yogananda in their more recent lifetimes. And so this light of God shines through the seeming play of light and shadow, of the battle, of the pandemic, of the whatever it may be, the circumstances of life that conspire to convince us that beyond the reality of God, there's something here for us that would distract us from our greatest happiness. And the subject of evil and of darkness, you know, in and of itself, although it's one of the great mysteries of creation and life, it's essentially a useless question. Very quickly, for the truth seeker, the spiritual seeker, the devotee, the question becomes, what can I do about it? And then perhaps it's useful. But the question of evil in this world, of light and darkness, is born of that same seeming separation of the soul and God. And in its infinite expressions of light and darkness, of duality, there is yet a light beyond 
light and darkness. There's a goodness beyond good and evil that exists only in God. And so again, this dance exists. And Swamiji, Swami Kriyananda, so I'll refer to him, Swamiji, he stated that evil, he gave this very apt and beautiful metaphor. He said, evil is a thick fog of ignorance. And so that image inspires compassion, perhaps. It gives perspective to what evil is, this mindset that could be fogged in ignorance. But it also can give us practical direction. And I've always loved a couple of examples that Swamiji gave um, that pertain or can pertain to this idea. He said, again, when it comes to practical direction in life, uh, he said in the example of a, ski a skier, which I'm, I'm not a skier, but having done some sports and things related, I can, I can understand. He said a skier going downhill on a slope doesn't have time, especially if he's a skier of any talent. He doesn't waste any time thinking about how should I navigate this particular terrain or feature? Oh, I, I don't like the way this mogul goes up or this embankment curves to the left. He simply responds from his own center. And again, if he's a good skier, he responds with grace and with an intuitive flow of energy to navigate and even has fun. There's joy in navigating perhaps even the most challenging and advanced terrain. He also gives this example of the tennis player. So again, not being much of a tennis player, but nonetheless, here I am playing tennis. It's a good match. And then, oh, why did they hit the ball over here, Swamiji says. I, I don't like the way they made that hit so difficult. No, the tennis player with energy, with skill, responds immediately to that attack and responds with vigor and energy and again finds joy in this challenge, in this opportunity. And so there's great practical direction and inspiration if we face the trials, the challenges, the good and evil of this world with all of our energy, with even joy and the joy of God. Um, there's something very important that is instructive on the spiritual path for us when we're faced with good and evil and any number of expressions of consciousness. And it's hinted at in this, or more than hinted at, expressed in this excerpt, this priceless gem from Autobiography of a Yogi in today's reading, where Yogananda says, thoughts are, in, are universally, not individually, rooted. A truth can not be created, but only perceived. And it's further explained at the very end of this reading. Uh, in case you missed it, it's worth going back to read and to really pay attention and listen to what Swami Kriyananda says. He says about these universal streams of consciousness that we should take pains, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is almost exactly it, take pains to attract the universal uplifting streams of consciousness and to avoid the negative, he says, which 
like a disease that it is, he says, can infect the mind with negativity, even while causing us to believe that those thoughts, that negative consciousness, comes from our very own mind. And so, in thinking about this, this is a scary thought, really, that we can be infected, what an image for today, with this negativity that can even seek to convince us that it is born of our own mind. This is like the demon and the powder that Swamiji also gave this example many times where this certain man is plagued by a, a demon and seeks to cast him out by some special mantra, invoking a mantra and using a certain powder. And as he goes to cast out the demon, the demon just laughs and says, I was already in the very powder that you sought to cast me out with. And so this idea that this negative thinking and lower consciousness can infect us is a scary thought. And the greatest demon of negativity that we can be infected with is the thought that I'm separate from God. And to take it a step further, that my happiness, my life, my fulfillment is something outside of God. It seeks to be fulfilled somewhere else. And so on a most basic level, we simply have to tune in to the positive state of consciousness that says I am one with God. Even if I'm not fully conscious and realized in that state of awareness yet, that is my reality. Now, there are many streams of consciousness, of course. There are many universal thoughts. And it's not, unfortunately, quite that simple. But that is the most important and highest expression. The streams of consciousness that are constantly bombarding us, we can train to affect our lives in the best way through the simple use of habit. Now, habits are just thoughts. We know this, actions and thoughts, which we repeat enough times that they become basically automatic. And habits have a tremendous power in life and so on the spiritual path as well. And there are a couple of habits that if we cultivate can be most helpful, most impactful in our spiritual lives. Now, before I mention a couple of those habits, there are essentially two ways that habits can be formed or reinforced, let's say. The first is just by repetition, as I said. We form these thoughts and action patterns that form grooves. And Swami, through his instruction and, and teaching and guidance, talks about how the more energy we put into and frequency we put into those thoughts and actions, the more powerful those habits can be formed or changed. And so that's simple enough. And yet there's a powerful teaching there in our practice of affirmations. Oh, if I do it five times, then it should be more powerful. Well, how much energy do we do anything with? If I sit to meditate every day, then I'm making progress. Well, how much energy is in that meditation? So frequency as well as the energy we put into something 
has a great impact, but that's still a more mechanical level, and it's very important. But the most powerful way we can form and change our habits is through the grace of God. And that can come and does come through meditation and all of our spiritual practices and love for God. And this is really an untangible, uh, undescribable method, and yet there it is. The power for God to change us through communion with God, through devotion, through seeking God in everything. Now, as I said, there are a couple of habits, if we establish them, that will never let us down. And the first is, of course, meditation, because it does uplift our consciousness to that light beyond light and darkness, and it does open the doors and the windows for God's grace to flow in and change us on levels that we may never know and affect great spiritual change. And so I would say, if nothing else, meditate every day. Meditate with love for God with as much energy as you can. And don't be disappointed when you fall short of your expectations and meditation, but never, ever give up. You know, in about 12 years since I found the spiritual path of Yogananda, I've never, ever missed a day of meditation, of Kriya Yoga practice, twice daily. And I hesitate to say that with any pride, because more often than not, my meditation practice has been disappointing. It does fall short from my expectations. It's distracted. It's shorter than I'd like it to be. It's restless. It's, it's not what I want. And yet, I will never give up. 12 years, 100 years, I will never give up my meditation, my appointment with God. And sometimes it's the middle of the night when you arrive at a hotel, or it's on the plane, or it's just 15 minutes, or it's you know, sitting in bed. But Yogananda said, never miss your appointment with God. And so if you're fortunate enough to have the technique of Kriya Yoga or of Hong Sa, which is part of Kriya Yoga, practice it every morning, every night, at noon if you can, every day without fail. And this will be the most powerful habit that can affect spiritual change in your life. The other thing I would say that it's a little more broad, but equally important, is to never, as far as habits go, ever pass up the opportunity to receive, but also to share and to give and receive spiritual inspiration. Now, this is simple enough, but in our lives, there are so many pulls. There are so many distractions. There are so many things happening that we can and do take part in. But where are they taking our consciousness? And so, again, here's a simple but a powerful habit that says, I will take every opportunity to both receive and to give, because they are the same channel, spiritual inspiration, with my friends, with my loved ones, with the world, just between me and God in private. It doesn't really matter what the expression or form is but through spiritual readings, through spiritual music, through chanting, through spiritual friendships, and on and on and on, 
Let me take every opportunity I can to uplift my consciousness, both in giving and receiving spiritual inspiration. And again, this habit will affect great change in our consciousness, such that we may never really know. You know, ultimately, with any spiritual philosophy or teaching, such as this topic, there comes a point when it behooves us as devotees to look at what is the wisdom of this teaching? And as I said before, what is the practical instruction or direction in my spiritual life? And I would even go so far as to say, where does Satan exist in my life? Because it catches our attention. And it says, where is this negative thinking, this negativity or moods? As Yogananda once said, I just suffer when the disciples are in emotional moods because that's when Satan has a hold of you, he said. And it's dramatic, but it's this negativity, this emotional turmoil that causes this downward spiral of consciousness. You know, I was thinking about that basic and most powerful teaching of Patanjali, the great master and exponent of yoga, which so many of us know, yoga chitta vritti nirod in Sanskrit. Yoga is the neutralization of the waves or the whirlpools of feeling, of chitta. And I was thinking about this, that this word chitta, feeling, and this concept of whirlpools, of feeling, of waves of feeling in the heart, and how this creates this seeming separation from God. And you know, the same word chitta is in the beautiful description or definition for God that originates, I believe, with Adi Shankaracharya, but that Yogananda taught as sat chit ananda, existence, consciousness, again, feeling, bliss. Sat chit ananda. And so chit in and of itself is an expression of God. Feeling in the heart. Consciousness is, of course, is God. And yet a little wave in that consciousness, a little ripple, a great whirlpool or a heaving wave, it blurries that image. It muddles that consciousness where God is mirrored in the heart, in our own feeling. Um, and so chitta can be a way for us to still the mind, calm the heart, of course through meditation and through our spiritual practices to reflect that perfect or more perfect image and bliss of God. You know, in Autobiography of a Yogi, there's another instructive uh, story where uh, Yogananda is in his guru's hermitage. That's the title of the chapter, Years in My Master's Hermitage. And he recounts a couple of sort of amusing and also deep uh, little stories where he, he encounters a mosquito. And in one of them, he's meditating. Yogananda's meditating. And he's in this perfect state of bliss, right? His chitta is calm and he's in tune with his guru and God. And a mosquito comes, he says, a rude mosquito enters the ideal and lands on his skin and inserts his uh, poisonous hypodermic needle, Master writes, very colorful language, 
And Master gets ready to strike the mosquito, and then he stops, thinking also of Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga, where ahimsa, made famous by Gandhi, of course, nonviolence, is an expression of God's consciousness. And he says, no, I won't attack this mosquito. And his guru, Sri Yukteswar, counsels him, why not strike the blow? He said, it had already been struck in your mind. And so the instruction, of course, the teaching for the disciple is that there are much more subtle thoughts than just the outward expression or action that we have to purify and change if we would express something as simple as nonviolence. Right? Most of us certainly are not evil people. We don't have expressions of evil that we're concerned with in our lives. We have judgmental thoughts. We have moods and negative attitudes that plague us. And those are the levels that we have to work on. They're more subtle, but they are just as powerful, perhaps more powerful than just the outward trappings of what it means to be good or evil or one expression or another. But if nothing else, we can hone in on this idea of negativity and the need to cultivate the positive consciousness of God. Yogananda said this very simple statement as a teaching to his disciples. He said, do not tie my hands with negativity because the guru is God. Guru is that expression of God which is our dearest friend, our mother and father, and can, can and will help us if we allow that help to come. But what an image. Do not tie my hands with negativity. God himself cannot help us if we don't open the doors through our positive thinking and our positive consciousness to invite him. There's a story from the life of Ramakrishna, who was another uh, great master and avatar, in fact. And I don't know the specifics. I couldn't actually find the story, but um, he was being visited by a couple of visitors. Of course, he received many visitors and pilgrims seeking blessings and counsel in um, Calcutta, I believe, where he lived. In any case, two men were coming to the ashram. And I don't know if they were evil men per se, but they were not spiritual men. They were not of a, a wholesome influence, let's say. And Ramakrishna wanted to hide and flee. And he said, take me away from here. I don't want to receive these men. And of course, he was a, a great guru. He wasn't worried for himself about these two, let's say, negative individuals. But he was teaching this example that if necessary, flee. You know, cast out negativity. If needed, run away from it. And of course, there are two sides to this coin. There's also great power that is needed sometimes to cast out negativity if we can't, for example, flee from it or otherwise be rid of it. Yogananda said of this, he said, I, the spirit flows through me in different ways. He was only in tune with God. So another story from Yogananda's life, he lived in a time of great turmoil, of course. He lived through world wars and tremendous economic strife and suffering and on and on. And in the Great Depression years, he was in Chicago. And Yogananda went into a park late one night. And there was a policeman who tried to stop him, who said, 
don't go in that park, it's not safe. Even the police don't go in there. You know, Chicago was notorious for its gangsters at this time especially. And Yogananda said, I'll be fine. And he sat on a park bench and a man approached him after a while who he said was big, bigger than him and really tough looking. And the man snarled at Yogananda, give me a dime. And Yogananda gave him a, a dime, he gave him a coin. And the man said, give me a quarter. And Master gave him a quarter. He said, give me 50 cents. Master gave him 50 cents. I mean, how generous he was to this gangster. The man said, give me a dollar. And Yogananda said, seeing that the situation was not going anywhere, he stood up with the full force of God and he screamed, get out. And he cast this man out with his consciousness. And the man, this gangster, began trembling. He said, like a leaf. He dropped the money. He said, I don't want your money. And he fled. <laughs> and so Yogananda called on that divine power after being a seemingly generous, passive force. He called with the full power of God. Later, he said, when he left, the, the same policeman encountered him and said, I saw what happened. I didn't even dare approach you. He said, what did you say to that man? And Yogananda just smiled and said, we reached a little understanding. <laughs> but he, he had and used, if necessary, this full force, this potent force of God, which we have access to as well, to cast out negativity in whatever the form may be. So, ultimately, this is the wisdom of this teaching, that God is always with us, is always accessible, and more than that, the masters are with us, because they are God's instruments. And we have Paramahansa Yogananda. We have five self-realized gurus. We have Swami Kriyananda, another saint of great self-realization, also a fellow disciple of Yogananda, and their spirit is ever with us, and we can call on them to change our consciousness, to fight this battle of light and darkness when necessary. Uh, Yogananda, when he was at Mount Washington with Swami Kriyananda, whom he referred to as Walter then, he said, not in Kriyananda, Walter's presence, but to some of the other disciples who were present, he said, some of these monks, he said, spend more time with Walter. Even as a very young man, a new disciple, he said, spend more time with Walter. You don't know what you have in him. And I heard a talk that Swami Kriyananda said of this remark. He said, I didn't know what I had in me either. But there is that spark of divinity in Kriyananda, in Yogananda, in you and me, that we can cultivate like an ember and fan with devotion, and it becomes that flame of God and that light beyond all light and darkness. And we need not be preoccupied with all the good and evil of this world, but just to dwell more in God and know that he's always with us, in charge of our lives. There's a story I want to share with you, just wrapping up here. Um, a friend of mine recently told me and she said, you should tell this story at Sunday service. So thank you, Melody. We were, uh, I was nearby, I wasn't present, but she was observing some of our children playing. So my kids, Tulsi and Jay, were playing with some of their best friends, Bodie and Annabelle and Joppa. And so here is this merry playmates, these five children. And after their, a period of their usual, mostly harmonious and 
fun play, there erupted a little scuffle. And um, it was Annabelle, I believe, who said to her older brother, Bodie, those immortal words in this little kerfluffle. She said, Bodie, you're not in charge of me. And it was my son, Jay, who took charge of the situation then. I'm a little proud and amused to say the youngest of the bunch. So with the full wisdom of four and a half years, Jay said, nobody is in charge of anybody, guys. He said, God is in charge of everyone, even me. <laughs> so Melody recounted this to me in verbatim, Joppa's mother, and I thought, wow, Jay, exactly right. God is in charge of everybody, even me, and every situation of my life is in God's perfect care. Really. You know, as uh, my friend Swami Asha is fond of saying, is there anything outside of God's will? Is there any circumstance? Is there any, anything in my life, this person or this situation, that is outside of God's perfect love for me? So let us take heart knowing that God is in charge in this simple thought. And that by clinging to God, we have that full power. In the Ramayana, there's the beautiful image of Hanuman, the greatest disciple uh, of God, of Lord Rama, who was a tremendous warrior as well as expression of God. And he was unbeatable, Lord Rama, except for one. Hanuman, his greatest disciple, could best Rama in a sparring match, in a, a play fight. And when he was asked, how could he best Lord Rama, God himself, the greatest warrior in battle, Hanuman simply opened his breast to reveal Lord Rama and Sita, God, divine mother, beating in his heart. He knew where his power came from. I wanted to share with you Yogananda's prayer, or his words to his disciple, Radhashi Janakananda. This was from last week's... Uh, August 7th, I think, uh, 1938. He just wrote this little note to Rajashi Janakananda, who was a master in his own right, but also his blessed disciple. And he wrote, Blessed beloved little one, like a fire mist, we will spread through the heart of life and death, lightning and thunder, disaster, health, and all dualities. Our cosmic skin will be the sky and the shining pores of the stars. And so this is the consciousness of God. And this is where we as disciples can dwell with Yogananda. And I just wanted to finally close uh, with a story that Yogananda himself tells um, from the life of St. Anthony. And this is, uh, you can hear it on one of the SRF recordings. St. Anthony lived a couple hundred years after Christ. And he was one of the desert fathers. And he lived a life of great seclusion and devotion to God. And he was tempted by Satan, by the devil, who knew that he was a tremendous renunciate and devotee of God and had tried to tempt him of the world unsuccessfully. And so Anthony, known for his extreme austerity, he sealed himself literally in a tomb and meditated for years and years and prayed in communion with God. And he was tested again and again by the devil, who just wanted to torment him and annoy him. And at the climax of this test, 
Satan sent these demonic forces, as he often had, but in full force upon St. Anthony, who, seeing this come to a head, there were wolves and jackals and these demonic entities attacking him. St. Anthony called out in this moment of climax. He said, come forth, you powerless servants of Satan. See how I am steadfast in my faith and my love for God and Christ, my master. And responding to this challenge, the devil sent his demons upon Anthony and instructed them to destroy the temple. And they did. And this power being real, it, the temple walls caved in and the tomb of stone collapsed. And instead of being crushed to death, Anthony beheld Christ at last in an ecstatic vision of light. And no doubt with a heart full of love, if not eyes, full of tears, he cried out to Christ. He said, Lord, why did you not come to my aid sooner? And Christ replied to him, it's a mortal promise. He said, Anthony, I was always with you. And because you have taken courage, thusly, he said, I will always protect you. And I will always be with you. And that's the promise of God and the masters that if not in those extreme circumstances, in every circumstance, if we cling to God with courage, with love, his protection, his blessing, his grace is always with us. May God bless you. Thank you.